Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? With bloated ego, we are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. Yeah, 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 this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Doing a very bad job, like being turning. ready for the podcast. Well, yeah, like turning my notebook and shit. Yeah, I know. That's why I thought you were drunk. You like slammed your water cup down. You can't turn your pages in your notebook. It's St. Patrick's Day. You're an Irishman. Hey, let's let's not let's not fall to stereotype here. Let's not let's not. That's a very. Uh, you know what? It is St. Patrick's Day. It is you know a day for Irish people, and I don't think we should be indulging. You know. That type of behavior i i think it's totally fine you know I, I, I think if dennis hopper taught us anything in the first movie we're going to talk true. about uh drinking is probably the best thing you can do especially if you're going to get behind the you know wheels of a large vehicle drinking is the glue for sure to any <laughs> any good family any good car ride you're going to want to make it you know make it down go down a little smoother welcome to extended clip <laughs> i'm one of your hosts eddie averill I'm Malcolm Baum, Malcolm Obam, <laughs> for this uh, St. Patrick's Day. I'm JT White. And our double feature uh, for this 96th episode of the podcast is, you know, you think... Eddie, Eddie is going to his notebook where he's doing math to figure out this next joke. He's doing some numbers there. I had something. I, ha I swear to God I had something about this being the 96th episode of Extended Clip and Dennis Hopper, but... I think I, just, I got something. Funny. Like okay. six, 69, right? Like that's uh, connectivity, right? That's yeah. all about connectivity. 96, that's the opposite, right? That means like you're laying on a bed back to back from each other. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So maybe episode 69, we were all really tight, but now the tensions have has risen <laughs> now we no. really hate each other we're so yeah. distant i don't know i'm just i'm looking for a thing i, I was, was 96 was just like ass to ass damn we'll see you, you, you you're more you're much more of a freak than me god damn that, it i hate all of this what's <laughs> <laughs> the st patrick's day special that's why our double feature that's this not week. even coming out on st patrick's day <laughs> Our double feature this week is Out of the Blue, the 1980 film by Dennis Hopper, and Speed, the 1994 film by Jan DeBont. Now, we, we clearly see that speeding vehicles and Dennis Hopper are a connective tissue in this double feature, but JT, why, why did you bring these two films to the podcast? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously... It's a little cheeky to pair one of a very dark and intense Hopper film about driving, particularly related to incidents with a bus, with a, a very light and sort of fun action flick. But I hadn't seen Speed, and I love Hopper as an actor, and I was really curious to see his performance in that, and I knew I would love Speed. Um, and Out of the Blue is one of my all-time favorites, and mm. I was just excited to bring it to the table because... I wouldn't say Hopper is like one of my favorite directors, but I think he's really interesting in where he stands in terms of like the American milieu and American identity and Out of the Blue is his like most mature film. Like I love the the three I've seen, Easy Rider, Last Movie, and this, but like while Last Movie is like definitely a Godard riff, this is something that I feel like really reflects Hopper's like personal struggles but also speaks more broadly about like the generation that he came up in and sort of like reckoning with the past of the 60s and uh great movie yeah it's funny how he had to go all the way to Vancouver to make his best film about Americana and like youth culture after you know the huge swing that is Easy Rider and I still like Easy Rider quite a bit but I think this film just accomplishes like it accomplishes what Easy Rider sets out to do as like its fourth goal. You know, like this <laughs> film is so much more than that. And of course, yeah, the last movie I think was him really flinging everything he had against the wall as like a self-aware auteur. And, you know, mileage may vary on that one. Frankly, I'm not as big of a fan as you are, JT, of that one. But this movie, just the, the maturity and using just pure like family melodrama uh, as the core of it rather than the you know intertextual stuff and the you know uh, metaphorical stuff of the last few movies really makes this stand alone as a great film 
Yeah, you know, I, I've never seen Easy Rider or the last movie. So coming into this, you know, I'm familiar with Hopper. I've seen him around, seen him in movies. So, I, you know, kind of a blank slate. And this was, you know, really impressive. I don't know, kind of felt like the work of someone who made a lot more films. It's definitely very interesting. I don't know if you guys saw this on like uh, the restoration, but the the kind of the text beforehand, how they were talking like this was originally like kind of like a children's movie that Hopper yeah. had been hired on <laughs> to do. And then some, you know, for some re- reason or another, he just kind of took over and made this movie. Yeah, he just completely rewrote the script. The producers were like unhappy with this thing he was doing. And, you know, Hopper, like so many of the auteurs of that era, were acting to fund their movies in part. Uh, you know, Cassavetes is the other big example of that. So, you know, taking a paycheck, making this family friendly movie that was originally just called CB, like the characters nicknamed. And then when it kind of has difficulty and falls apart, Hopper says, you know, I'm not going to let this fall apart. I'm going to rewrite this as like partially more of an American melodrama because it was more of a Canadian film before, I would assume, and also make it a little bit of a, a Neil Young fan film. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, for which sure. Which I adore that aspect of it. I mean, double feature this with Russ Never Sleeps. Like, this is just taking that album and, you know, just taking the the opening song on it and also using Thrasher later on, but using that as a theme song and kind of a thematic guide uh, to how this movie goes about like its place within culture is I, I don't know it's incredible it's an incredible like like intertextual base of the movie between the movie and that album no it's very interesting and it's like it's it's very impressive but it's also kind of seems like almost like on the fly thinking yeah. in a way it's kind of like I've been I've been rocking with that Neil Young album a lot lately like what's he talking about <laughs> like uh, better to burn out than f- you know I like that I like that and just kind of going with like particular lyrics that stood out with him and like you said kind of integrating that into the themes like it's uh it's almost it's a very like i don't know it's the way people kind of you know because a lot of people who make art or something you know they say oh i like listening to music or whatever to get inspiration from art this is like i don't know taking inspiration from music in a very direct way that i don't usually see in a a lot of other movies yeah so the film cb she is a young girl who we see with her father, Dennis Hopper. Uh, she's played by Linda Manns. And mm-hmm. we see her with Dennis Hopper in the opening scene. She has clown makeup on. It's Halloween and he's driving her to school in his big rig. And then we see a school bus full of children also in costumes. And it, it almost made me think it was a dream sequence because of how surreal that element of it being Halloween was, you know. But no, it's a violent uh, crash killing tons of children because Dennis Hopper's drunk uh, driving his kid to school in the morning. And that is kind of the uh, the structuring uh, event of the film. Dennis Hopper's then in prison for the first half of the film while Linda Manns and her mom get by her mom working at a diner and uh cb kind of exploring the world of early punk rock and also fetishizing elvis and mourning his departure from the mortal coil yeah it's interesting that like linda manns later goes on to be in like gummo because this really feels like sort of like a pretext to that kind of like really morbid youth movie because like when you start with hopper drunk like the first time i saw this it like that's a powerful (laughs) image to open Mm -hmm. on and really sets how like fucking bleak the rest (laughs) of the movie is going to be yeah, well, you know, you know, not really knowing much about this movie going into it, seeing the image of him drunk driving or the clown makeup, I was like, well, this could either go, this is either going to be really fun or this is going to be really bad. And yeah. it kind of takes the, the latter approach. Because <laughs> like with Hopper's persona and like, I don't know, you could, it's even seen in like kind of like in speed or whatever. But like, I don't know, people... You know, with the, sometimes he'll go over the top with the acting, and people kind of see him as campy, like his performance in Blue Velvet. Whereas mm. this this deals with some very very grounded and real emotions in a way that I, I guess I didn't exactly uh, predict. And it's crazy to me that like, because before doing a little extra like digging on this film, I always assumed that like I knew Hopper got sober in the '80s, and I figured he had made this movie after that. But like, he went to rehab in '83, yeah. <laughs> and to be like that, like I mean, obviously, like when you have a problem, I'm sure you are aware of it. But like, he's the way he's dealing with it in the movie, and like talking about like cycles of abuse and just how vicious it is. I don't know. It's insane that he has that self-awareness while probably 
probably like not even hitting his own low point with like addiction. Mm-hmm. And it is very harrowing in that regard. I mean, Hopper's performance as a 24-7 drunk is incredible because of how charming he is. You know, like his character is a through and through terrible man, an evil father, just it does nothing right at all. But that inherent charm, even if it is an elevated camp uh, version of like a burnout stoner dude who calls his daughter man <laughs> while he's like swigging from a flask that he like can't even keep in his pocket. He just, he's so tempted to just keep yanking it out of his pocket in that one scene where they're hanging out next to her school. It's, it's such an incredible performance. And the thing is, it's really Linda Manz's movie too. And that's, what's so great about his performances. He gets all that in his, you know, 30 or so minutes of screen time. No, I, I do like how like the movie is divided because it is like, yeah, the, like you said, the first half really is man's in a way where it's like I don't everything like to the shot composition. It's so personal, like a lot of just like very centered, like tracking shots that Hopper likes as we see kind of Linda Mann's interact with her environment stuff like that and you get the good you know the bad and you know i don't want to say ugly but it's it's just like it is there are like these kind of like these really good light-hearted scenes where yeah. she's hanging out with her friends and there's genuine joy there but also like something like the bowling alley scene how like that kind of develops as it kind of just gets more grim and grim as it goes on and to the point where i don't know you just have a bunch of people in this bowling alley witnessing like a family kind of fall apart in a sense just yeah yeah, the bowling alley scene is incredible cb's out with a couple of her friends and they see yeah uh this is in the first half of the movie while dennis hopper is locked up and she sees her mom with the guy who generally keeps her company in the meantime so at first she wants to avoid it and then she gets like sized up by two of her dad's old friends. Uh, And it's just like these 50 year old men leering at these three, you know, young teenage girls and each kind of taking a pass kind of before that transitions to that dad's friend going over to the mom and just like groping her and stuff like that in front of the guy. And hey, you're looking good, mama. Bitch, turn around. Let me see that stuff. Yeah. You like that when I say that, don't you? Hey, tell me something. You miss Donnie, that's all. You know. You miss him a lot, don't you? You miss him so fucking much, you don't even wear your wedding ring. What? It's such like a display for like the whole community at this bowling alley. They're all kind of pretending not to care that much too. It's kind of like what we talked about with all that heaven allows with all the gossip in that movie. (laughs) But this is such a more like grounded and kind of burned out version of that where it's like, yeah, I think the whole town kind of knows how fucked up these people are. But in this movie, the whole town is also so fucked up that it's not that like bourgeois judgment that Cirque showcases. It's more of just like everyone just kind of has to watch. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of another, like, amazing scene where it's, like, normally in a story where it's, like, a dad is, like, coming out of prison, you would expect him to at least, like, pretend to be, like, somewhat <laughs> repentant or, like, try to stop drinking. But, like, immediately, like, like Hopper's character does not, like, there's no even a whiff of that. But there's that amazing moment where he's, it's, like, sort of his, like, welcome back party. And there is, like, a dad of one of the kids that, like, he killed in in the bus crash who, like, confronts him there. And that's, like, a very just, like, again, like, public and embarrassing and brutal scene where he's, like, like, look, I, like, I'm not going to, it's not going to bring your fucking kid back. He pours the, like, the the drink on his head and he's, like, well, there's enough for two drinks. Like, let's, let's make peace of it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, get him a dirty cup. <laughs> I love the beginning of that scene too. When he first enters his own party, he's just saying hi to people. He's like, I don't know who the fuck that person is. I don't yeah. know who the fuck any of these people are. No, I, yeah, I think Hopper has a really good sense of like uh, space with that, like with Hopper entering the party. Or even just like, you know, man's kind of, you know, walking through the streets or even like the bowling alley scene. It's kind of like the whirlwind of this community and kind of like he makes a good job of like visually conveying the kind of like, I don't know, the stress that would come with that situation. And speaking of walking through the streets, yeah, CB runs away to the city like, uh, you know, 20 minutes in or so. And you see these 
shots that are like documentary like of her walking through the city of uh, vancouver i guess but made to you know look more like an american town and like there's even a moment where a street musician is performing and at the end of like it starts with cb walking by and it's like following her but then it ends up with the musician just staring dead into camera and like asks hopper like did you get it you know <laughs> yeah at the end of the scene and i think that mo- it, it feels like malik very much and i think that linda mans is the connective tissue there being the narrator of days of heaven and then you know this almost recalling the later malik work as well as the just like fleeting poetic romanticism of days of heaven despite like the dire circumstances yeah because it's like it's interesting in that segment where she runs away from home because her mom is like shooting up and and that takes a really interesting course where it's like really not a part of the narrative but you see this like interesting scene and world that she's a part of like i love like in that segment when she goes to like the punk show and is at the punk house and you just sort of see the atmosphere there it's stuff that doesn't like move the plot along but it's so i don't know it's the way that hopper is like fixated and interested in showing you those environments are it's great Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also i feel like hopper here he's showing us kind of the positives and the negatives of kind of like living on the edge this bad boy charisma or something it's something that's you know addressed within the movie i think uh, Hopper's, you know, wife is like, oh, I, he just has like that, you know, that bad boy charm. And it's like uh, man's kind of goes down that path a little bit, you know, by just being insubordinate and like running away from home, obviously for good reasons, you know, upset that her mom's, you know, shooting up some heroin and yeah. whatnot. And like there's a lot of fun and there's a lot of, you know, discovery made on like, her, you know, her little excursion. But, you know, it's also the, the kind of the darkness of these situations. Yeah. I mean, it ends with her stealing a car with those punks, like and yeah. getting caught doing that, which brings her home. But yeah, that scene where she first runs away, catching her mom, it's also like a slowed down version of how he transitions scenes in Easy Rider. A lot of the scene transitions in Easy Rider Hill do these rapid cuts back and forth between the two scenes, you know, back forth like four or five times. And it's, you know, two or three seconds long. This, it goes over the course of almost a minute of these like long takes of her watching her mom shoot up. And then it goes back to her in the city exploring and then back to her mom shooting up with her kind of in the reflection. And I think that stretching of time is so much more, well accomplished in this movie uh, than the kind of blur it creates for Easy Rider. And also, I wanted to talk about that excursion a little more because she goes to that punk house and she sees a band. It's also, it's a power pop band from Vancouver called Pointed Sticks. And yeah, I gotta say, it's a pretty funny performance. Like, uh, it's, the camera becomes like self-aware in the moments of musical performance in this movie, whether it's the street musician or at this punk house where you even see like the reflection of the camera and the crew and the musicians are like looking into the camera a couple times during their performance. Uh, John Worcester of Superchunk on this scene says the drummer's doing very impressive Lucky from the Circle Jerks. Uh, <laughs> so our OG punk heads out there do with that what you will and just watch the scene it's a very fun scene and eventually uh the drummer gives his sticks over to cb to take over mid-song and it's it's corny but it's beautiful it's like so it's like every kid's fantasy as like a 14 year old rock kid you know it's like crazy because it's like there is that glee of being like a fiercely independent youth in this segment but it's also so sad because you see how young man's is especially when they're in like that like in that cramped punk house compared to everyone else like it's just uh it's it's horrifying well i mean i mean that scene where you know that bigger fella invites her back to his place to smoke some weed i mean talk about you know her feeling like such a young person compared to all these adults like even before you know the bad stuff happens before she gets in the room just walking to the room and just seeing these open doorways <laughs> in the hallways and just these uh you know non or undistinct adult things going on you don't know exactly what's going on but you see yeah. some people vaguely undressed or handling some sort of paraphernalia it's just like it's it's just very uh and then yeah how that scene develops to where 
you know, she starts sucking her thumb, you know, mm. when she starts, you know, smoking the weed. And it's just like it, for as much of a shitty situation as that town may have been for her, the depiction of city life for a young person on their own here is just like, oh, yeah, people are just boxing in the streets and there are only whores and people who will try to sexually assault you. Like <laughs> that is all who lives in the city. And you might find some punks, but you're going to get in trouble with them. So, yeah. So she returns home. And then that's when Dennis Hopper comes back, as we discussed. And uh, they, they kind of rekindle their bond a little uh, before the family continues to fall apart. And yeah, the, I mean, the entire family truly falls apart in a scene where the friend's name is Richard, the dad's friend. Charlie. Charlie, Charlie. sorry. Uh, Charlie comes over. He's been a presence throughout the film. And... I I don't even know how to begin with this like fucking sequence of events. It's it's truly disturbing. It's like some of the most brutal stuff I've ever seen. I it's it's to the I, I didn't really because it already been kind of you know somewhat dark and upsetting up yeah. to this point. I really kind of pushes it all in in this kind of like not final but one of the final sequences. Yeah. Sorry, JT, I interrupted. No, it's all yeah. good. I mean, that's pretty much like the direction I was headed in. Like, it's already like a really bleak movie, but I, I like, I mean, leading up to it, you get, I, I think, a really like novel perspective of like most of the fighting you hear while you just sort of the camera like tracks uh, CB in her room as she's doing other things to like entirely distract from it. But then we get we pull back and we see what's happening with Hopper and uh, Kathy and Charlie in like sort of that last beat there. And it's like, of course, Hopper has lost his job because throughout we see him just like fucking drinking on the job, like ditching work, like just being completely irresponsible. And it's like, you know, that's going to happen the moment he gets out of jail. And they're all just like all fucked up there, like. Uh, Kathy's like shooting up heroin in the house while like actively like cheating on Hopper and then like they're all so fucked up and it just leads them to be like we don't want her to be a lesbian so like Charlie should fuck her and it's like and it feeds back into the first time we see Charlie interact with her at the bowling alley the first time when he's like clearly just trying to fuck her before realizing her mom's there you know yeah Yeah. Uh, and it's so terrible and this comes at the point where CB is fully dressed up as Elvis like she she just like dons these fake sideburns and shit as her parents fight is escalating and it just completely breaks Hopper's character. And he's like, get out of my clothes. And, you know, he keeps saying this thing, get out of my clothes, referring to just like more than the actual clothes on her back, but being like him. Like he at that point recognizes that, you know, if his daughter's going to be anything like him, she's going to be a fucking terrible person. Yeah. I mean, after that moment of clarity, like that happens, he like returns mm-hmm. to her room and tries to molest her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And she kills him. Yeah. yeah. And it's like. Again, it's like, yeah, Hopper still isn't like, you know, he's not a classic genre filmmaker, but I think just as like a dramatic filmmaker, he punctuates that scene in a really good way, Uh, especially just like after just like the splotch of blood you kind of see after uh, with the knife is really intense. Oh, yeah. And the way he like frames that too, kind of there's like one shot in particular where it's like kind of framed behind her instruments and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, yeah, just really good. I mean, also, I mean, just the, you know, you know, you guys aren't going to say it. I will just, you know, the fact, you know, he's like the way it's done is so nasty too, where it's like, you know, he's, uh, you know, has his nose right up, you know, to her vagina and she uses that to just like, oh, it's so yeah really. luring him in with her underwear yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a disgusting scene yeah. yeah it's it's insane so it's not afraid to go there uh she brings her mom then out to uh the wreckage of her his previous big rig and in this little area where it's then revealed that that is where uh dennis hopper had previously uh, like sexually abused her and then she lights up the dynamite in the car and uh, both of them burn out instead of fading away as it were as Neil Young's theme song comes back over the end credits and it's crazy because so much happens in this movie it's also a very tight like 90 minute movie you know mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I feel like the dramatic structure makes all of these like all of the plot points happen almost feel like shockingly sudden 
uh, like, mm. uh, but, and it's, uh, the ending is as sudden as anything, despite like, if you think about it for one minute, you realize how inevitable it is. It's just that, yeah, you don't want it. You don't want them to blow up the car and die, yeah. but it's <laughs> inevitable. Yeah. It's a beautiful movie. No. Yeah. Like thinking about like how this movie is structured, it's a lot of like, I don't know, you get a lot of personal time with these characters. Like you have the man's character we see here, you know, sit in her room, listen to music, feel the emotional connectivity she has to that we see hopper just working in those fucking uh in the dump which is always surrounded by seagulls which is it looks amazing visually yeah like and uh just you know the really great thrasher sequence where we just kind of see hopper just blankly stare it is it's like it's almost like yeah these people are just kind of waiting for like these huge event or not you know not wait but it's like it seems inevitable through like all this stillness that you know something's going to come to a head and something big and dramatic you know is going to happen yeah with the thrasher needle drop and just those birds swarming around the dump as he's trying to do his job while still getting smashed and it's it's so sad like that to me that was one of the most moving points of the movie and i think hopper you know almost predates like music video filmmakers in terms of just like utilizing songs to that point and just accessing the emotion of the song through images and actor's face you know great film i'm gonna give it four bullets what about you I'm going to give it four bullets as well. I think I said my piece. JT? Um, I'm going to go five bullets with this. It's been an all-time fave for me. I just think, like, Hopper ends Easy Rider and, like, comes out, like, 69, like, tail end of the 60s, and he's already, like, skeptical and, like, cynical and, like, the hippie dream has sort of failed and the promise of a better world has, like, ultimately turned out to be just sort of like drug-induced hallucinations and not met the social reform they wanted to do really fucking failed well like 11 years later his perspective on it is even more harshly cynical um hopper is a burnout um like punk culture has emerged to like a cynical as like sort of like a cynical response to the failure of that social movement and it feels like righteously nihilistic and I don't know the ending is like very bleak and sad but I think it's like earned because I don't know what what future could there be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back on extended clip man <laughs> <laughs> How did life treat you this week? <laughs> you know what? I can't complain. You know, I, I can't complain. That's all I got to say. You know, I could list my problems, but, you know, they might be a little bit smaller than I even realized. But, uh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs> they might be even too small to mention. But, uh, you know. I didn't know you real. I, I, I didn't realize you named your balls your problems. <laughs> <laughs> my God. I think you, I think you have a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> and I know you'd be pleased to hear that, but that's not what I mean. Uh, no, I'm, um, you know, it's it's called enlightened mindset. I watched Le Butcher, or probably The Butcher, I'm guessing in English yeah. by Claude Chabrol. And you know, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. You know, I kind of watched a couple Chabrols, his earlier work kind of the stuff that's like taught you know more canon and stuff like that and i always thought you know very competent was was never exactly blown away but i think the butcher was kind of one of the fir- first chabrals i've seen where he's kind of got my intention it's 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 kind of a very particular mood he establishes here that you know kind of built off the classic tension building kind of slow burn horror but also just kind of like i don't know very great attention kind of to the social milieu of each of its characters because the basically the you know the plot is there's a butcher a man who works with a butcher classic shit or not works with a butcher works as a butcher getting it clarified here <laughs> he has this relationship with the school teacher school teacher who will not have sex because her last relationship was bad but butcher kind of hangs around obviously 
has a thing for her. And in the meanwhile, he's fucking, you know, hacking people up. He's fucking murdering people. But it's like kind of uh, focuses on this kind of like very strange romance that develops between them. And, you know, kind of the climax is framed around that rather than, uh, you know, him being a, a gruesome, grisly, you know, man with a hatchet. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I have that one downloaded. That's like uh, going to be my first Chabral. Hell yeah. What is this noise? Do you hear that? Yeah, I know. I, I heard that too. I was, oh. Wait, hold on. Uh, listeners, look. Sometimes you have difficulties and you blame them on your neighbors. There was a man yelling outside. There was a man. Yeah. <laughs> that was true. But. That man, one year ago today, not today, but one year ago about this week told me uh, when I was like walking, I, I was just getting off work like the last week before my job closed down wearing a mask. You're not going to need one of those by like next week, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look where we were. I mean, if you ran in the right circles, you didn't need it. That might be inaccurate. Wait, was March, was March when they were still telling us to send the masks to hospitals? Yeah, that is true. I he can't was, remember. He was, it, was, it was, timeline was off there, but uh, yeah. I uh, think there was like a point where they're like, don't wear a mask. Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, actually, yeah. damn. Yeah, yeah, that's why I still don't wear a mask because <laughs> yeah. I don't believe the science on okay, that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, I was saying though, that was the one Chabrol I downloaded, so I can't wait to watch it. I, I That's all I was trying to say. And it took me <laughs> five minutes because I was like, yeah, I I know that one. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> JT, what did you watch this week? Um, I've watched like a few things. One thing in particular I've watched is the numbers and the money stack oh. up on Patreon.com slash extended clip. <laughs> I like, uh, I don't know, I'm a greedy guy, and I've got a big appetite, and I need to wet my beak, and you all need to help me do it. I think it's honestly like, look, guys, this is an investment tip for you. You need to get in on the ground floor now. I think maybe like three three years from now, I think you're going to want to be able to say, like much like... You can get some sweet Brooklyn pussy from saying, you know, I was one of the first 100 guys to invest in Chapo Trap House on <laughs> Patreon.com. <laughs> You're going to be able to say that about extended clip. Damn. So, I, I feel like I might have been one of, not one of the first, but I definitely was an early adopter of Chapo. So if anyone wants to have sex with me based <laughs> off that, feel free to hit me up. Just... just I do. I wasn't aware of this. It seems like he brought... But also, <laughs> but also even more importantly... Maybe you should check out patreon.com slash extended clip because we got shit. You ever heard of fucking Zack Snyder, man? You ever heard of this motherfucker? <laughs> I have. He's going fucking buck wild in Hollywood, you know, telling uh, the executives to, you know, get his lunch or whatever, you know, because he's, he's, he's editing the, you know, Justice League supercut or whatever. So <laughs> we... <laughs> he is doing that yeah. right now. <laughs> so we watched Sucker Punch. And we reviewed it on the Patreon. And so too. So if you have Zack Snyder opinions, love or hate the guy. That was like three weeks ago. You're yeah. going to want to check out the Patreon. Uh, hey, come on, man. I'm keeping current. More, <laughs> more recently, we have an episode on Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven That's Allows. True. And we're going to talk about Johnny Toe's fat suit movie on our next one. Love on a Diet. Gonna, but what did you watch this week? Okay, yeah. Well, aside from that, aside from that, aside I, uh, from the I just internal wanted, advertising. I just wanted to sneak in a plug, Damn. real, real subtle, like there. <laughs> All right, I um, had plans for a segment, but you know, whatever. We can throw in another. Let's we can, we can just do three ads in an episode. For I don't this, care. Just for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, and if be you one want. of those podcasts that's like, oh, I used to like them, but it's like they do like twenty minutes of ads a week now, and that's just us saying to go to Patreon. <laughs> well, hey, if you if you want the Patreon. You know, plug free episodes. Go to the <laughs> Patreon. Ad free episodes. Go to patreon.com slash extended clip where the Patreon will not be mentioned whatsoever. But and trust me, it takes me a long time to cut that shit out. <laughs> um, I did last night watch Modern Times The Way of the Flesh, uh, Adam Curtis's uh, little short documentary by him which is about the history of cancer research. And I think, like, I don't know, I really dig uh, when Curtis has a lot of time to breathe, and I love his uh, long, uh, like, episodic uh, uh, movies. But this one, he really compresses a lot 
um, into a short amount of time and weaves like really interesting personal stories, particularly one that sort of guides it about a a black woman in Baltimore, Henrietta Lacks, who her cells were instrumental in like the understanding of cancer research and how it developed and like sort of highlighting her story and like how she didn't really receive any like credit or acknowledgement or like her family didn't receive really any compensation for that for the longest time. But like throughout the history of cancer research, which he traces to a point like it was there's one really interesting thing that I learned from it where it was like originally people were trying to treat cancer as like a virus that you could like get and like develop like that. And in he he sort of has like a bleak mindset on like Henrietta Lacks's story because she was sort of forgotten by history in that respect. But then it ultimately winds up where it's like the start of cancer research. They think it's going to be something, Oh, this is a virus. We're going to solve this shit like that. And then it becomes like something far more nebulous. And like the knowledge behind it is like, Oh, we may never know what this is. And, uh, it was a good, like, short little Curtis snippet. Sometimes you just uh, want to hear a nice English man tell you what's wrong. That's true. That that is why we got his movie. <laughs> that British role play <laughs> audio, yeah. What about you, Eddie? Did you watch any good movies this week? <laughs> no, next. <laughs> Damn, dude. No. Damn. I uh I watched some good shit. I you know, I took another look at Downsizing, oh. the Alexander Payne film, and I already was a big fan of this one. I I've rewatched it a couple times since I was first disappointed by it in theaters. I watched it opening, not opening day, I watched it on New Year's Day, I believe of 2017, I guess, or 18 maybe. 18. Yeah, because it came out 17 technically. Yeah. I saw it I saw it in New Mexico before the, the New Year, I think. Oh, in December. Nice. Yeah. Um, this is such a great movie, and it's so many different movies too, and I, I get why some people would criticize it for that. I think if you're going off of traditional models of storytelling, yeah, there's a lot to pick apart about this film. It, Jonathan Rosenbaum said it's two films joined at the hip and it's kind of right. But I, I think what kind of appears on the surface to be a snappy social satire, all you have to really do is think about Alexander Payne, look at the runtime, and like spend a little bit of time with this movie to realize it's not what the trailer was selling. Even if the first 30 minutes, you know, you have the scene where um, Neil Patrick Harris and Laura Dern are selling the small house, and it is like that scene is very much used in the trailer too. And it feels a little more like a, uh, a social commentary, sci fi comedy thing. Uh, but social commentary in terms of like, you know, wouldn't it be crazy if <laughs> we all shrunk down? <laughs> uh, it's really just about how we're running out of resources. And it starts small, how Americans are running out of money because of, you know, our resource problems here that, you know, uh, eventually ended up affecting our economy on a person-to-person basis. Uh, we see people out of work. We see Matt Damon living with his mom uh, as an adult and bringing her leftovers. And, you know, she has an illness that can't be treated. And, uh, you know, Damon is a healthcare professional, but like an on-site one so that people don't get carpal tunnel by doing the same motion for their entire lives at a factory. Uh, it's a very depressing job to have, honestly. Uh and so he takes this risk, this new uh, f- fancy way of living, and his wife leaves him because of it, uh, leaving him small while she remains normal. And he meets Hong Chao, a Vietnamese refugee who is like a political activist and uh, was sneaking in through like a TV box. And uh, I don't know, the the class divide between the, the bungalow that the entire you know, uh, Latin American and Asian American community lives in versus the suburb full of mansions that all of the white people in the movie live in uh, is so insane. And like nobody wrote about it beyond kind of writing it off. And it's like, if you don't see it as, you know, the class disparity uh, in America, you know, even further uh, uh, making, you know, racial disparities uh, like, 
I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a pretty obvious film. It, it's like right there on the surface and people didn't seem to get it. Payne's leisurely pace maybe turns people off. Uh, I think Damon's relationship with Hong Chao is stunning. Uh, there, at one point, he uh, she, she's an amputee and at one point he is rubbing cream into her nub and it gets her so aroused that she starts moaning and then they start having sex. <laughs> and it's one of the most strange intros to a sex scene I've ever seen in like a studio movie, but it ends up being this like, um, end of the world scare where it's like, well, even small, we're not going to make it. And like, there is, uh, you know, some sort of like gas leak that's like completely melting the Arctic or something like that. Uh, and uh, so Damon has to choose whether he's going to like go down in a hole as a small man and try to live in the core of the earth or take a chance on, like in quote unquote reality with Christoph Waltz and Udo Kier sailing around the world, uh, selling high end luxury goods for like 10 cents a piece to small people, which is such a funny scheme that Christoph Waltz runs as like this Armenian bro who like sells cigars and watches to people in the small world. Um, just a stunning movie full of incredible human detail and just like such an indictment of the world we live in, but also at the same time, just an exploration of how, people can navigate that world you know uh it's it's a beautiful picture go check out alexander payne's masterpiece downsizing yeah i remember the critical reception to that being very very strange you know there are a couple people claiming you know it was racist it was racist a lot of people claiming it was racist just because a character has a, a thick accent in the movie which literally makes no sense to me i mean i guess maybe i don't know you could cynically look at like you know Payne. Payne's tendencies throughout his career, but I think if you watch the movie, he's obviously not making fun of that. Yeah, and uh, Hong Chao's character is like by far the most honorable person yeah. in his filmography. Like, no, exactly, exactly. So it's I don't know. Maybe maybe that time was just maybe I don't know. Film critics were thinking weird. Maybe they were mm. struggling with their own racism. Anyways. That's true. Honestly, I <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. When I was watching it the first time, I I never am one to complain about this, but. My crowd that I watched it with was laughing at some strange stuff to laugh at. And I was like, what? That's not a joke. That was, yeah. It, it was weird. It, it was just a weird experience. And like, I remember there was a, there is this like all forehead bald dude, like totally like a car selfie Twitter guy, <laughs> uh, like four seats over from me talking back to the screen, like throughout yeah. the whole fucking movie. <laughs> uh, 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 when I saw Dragged Across Concrete, I feel like I had a similar experience where it's like also, <laughs> but the movie is completely different where it's like almost yeah. inviting that type of... It actually of, happened during uh, Richard Jewell too, ooh. when the CIA or the FBI rather was uh, like coercing him into signing that thing the guy in front of me was like don't fucking sign it man <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with him yeah, though yeah. I, don't, I don't even mind that at that point i'm like yeah i'm just happy that people are that invested like me exactly i fucking dude. cried in Rich, dude, to richard jewel whole theater in front of my fucking oh, i wept back. like a baby yeah. my whole fam like i saw it um like the second time with my folks like on christmas mm -hmm. and we were just like not a dry eye in the white family wow the white family <laughs> We'll be Got right him. back on extended. <laughs> <laughs> Follow soccer, Aquaman. Not really. Uh, great sport. Pele turned me on to it back in the day when we were chasing honeys together. <laughs> the great thing is, no American bookie knows shit about handicapping. We've got a million bucks riding on Manchester United. Wow. You want a part of the bet? You can have 100K a month. It makes watching the game a lot That's more the off mic podcast we do is about Neil Young every week, <laughs> just checking in where we're at. <laughs> How much you listen to this week? Yep. <laughs> just exchanging last FM stats. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back on extended clip talking about speed. The 1994 film by Jan DeBont, the debut film by Jan DeBont. Uh, as a director, he had worked as a DP on so many classics before, you know, stuff like Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, two of my favorite Verhoeven movies, Basic Instinct and an early one, Turk's Fruit or Turkish Delight. Here, it feels like he's kind of expanding on that diehard uh, aesthetic uh, in the opening, at least. And it's funny because 
it made me think of, and this is kind of a long-winded anecdote, so I'm sorry, but made me think of the first screenwriting class I ever took. I had a teacher who made, you know, a couple million bucks in the early 90s uh, on the spec script market. Uh, he, he told us about how there was a Die Hard in a blank phase, where after Die Hard came out, you could write a Die Hard ripoff, set it in an interesting location, and sell your script. He did Die Hard I believe actually on a bus, which is funny. Uh, and it it sold for like 2 million bucks. He lived off that through the 90s very cheaply. It never got made. Uh, but this is funny because it's like, of all that, the, the cottage industry of die hard in a blank, this kind of takes the opposite approach where it's like, Jan DeBont was like, oh, I really got up to some cool shit on die hard. I'm going to put that visual style in motion and put it uh into a community rather than one guy taking down a bunch of bad guys and he takes some of the stuff that mctiernan obviously was in charge of uh a lot of this intercutting stuff but this really does feel like uh more of an aesthetic offshoot of die hard rather than a conceptual one that you know, uh, so many 90s action movies were. Uh, but aside from that connection, on its own, Speed is lovely. Speed is a movie about a bus. And if that bus goes be- below 50 miles an hour, you know, it's going it's to blow. Dennis Hopper set the bomb, and he's an expert at this kind of thing. We see an opening set piece uh, where he takes some hostages in an elevator shaft, and he's got it all, man. He's got balls of steel, Handy oh. with a shotgun and knows his way around a fucking bomb. <laughs> That's one thing I like really I wasn't expecting to love as much as I did, but the dialogue in this script is like it's it's firing. It's yeah. like crude, like great one liners. It's I don't know. I had a real blast with speed whole way through. I find you pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes fifty miles an hour bomb is armed if it drops below 50 it blows up what do you do what do you do well i think you know i I like all the dialogue too and like yeah there's like a great visual style where motion is off all you know prioritized but any like any like minor or like i don't know like maybe like weird acting tick or any like i don't know weird thing like that where you know sometimes people use that to discount movies it's not really a factor here motion Mm -hmm kind of cures all sins you yeah know what i mean let's just we keep moving and moving so if there's like a weird moment where you don't like you know i don't know some weird character interaction which you know i don't really have many doesn't moments. happen much yeah no yeah. it doesn't but it's just like any just any small flaw is just immediately forgotten because yeah, there's from the time it starts yeah. too like it starts on this other attack of dennis hopper's in this elevator shaft the opening credits, you're just descending this elevator shaft. You're never still in this movie. And, uh, you know, more than a diehard comparison, it belongs in the camp of Unstoppable or Sully yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, any of these incredible vehicle movies that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the camaraderie of a team, the excellence of a, you know, movie star, uh, and also the precision of filmmaking comes together for this perfect storm that we call an action movie. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to go f- to film production mode here, but like, I feel like this is like one of like a perfect Hollywood object too, because, you know, like you have a great thing for Keanu and Bullock to kind of do their thing in the bus. You have the action, the semi-romance, but also you get to, you get these great man in a room performances where you hopper for most of the movies, just mainly in his room, just kind of saying catchphrases <laughs> in front of a computer screen or even uh, Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Who, uh, oh, who, yeah. who gets to, you know, have a, a man in the room performance. And it's just like in terms, and you know, it's a, this is a, one of the great Hollywood movies of the nineties. And yeah. like, this is the exact type of thing everyone would want to, you know, these Hollywood people would want to make because it's such a good display for everyone to get their talents out in forefront. And, you know, especially this is a great vehicle for Keanu to, you know, to for his action movie star chops. Yeah, it's like I, I, I've i been listening to so much of the Lex G podcast. It's <laughs> all your buddies are there. It's like it's there's a great like in the supporting cast. You got like 
for the first elevator opening scene, you see Pat, Patrick Fischler mm. um, from Mulholland Drive. You got, I mean, Jeff Daniels in general. I like Alan Ruck's performance on the bus. There are so many like little like fun moments. There's of, so many guys that you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the, with the guy you just mentioned on the bus, that that's Cameron from yeah. uh, Ferris Bueller. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. That's how I know. <laughs> and I, that opening uh, interaction, though, for Dennis Hopper, you know, is stabbing a guy and then saying, nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But him and Keanu both get these insane fucking intros. You know, uh, Dennis Hopper's being that, you know, coming from behind sneak kill. Uh, and Keanu's is jumping a fucking Crown Vic mm-hmm. off of a hill while he's pulling up to a crime scene, getting, you know, five feet in the air uh, and then just hopping out like a badass uh his partner being jeff daniels and just the way they interact the way they look at each other the clear like a uh, role model status and uh you know keanu is the young youngster hothead more you just know daniels isn't coming out of that first or that first set piece unscathed you know and yeah. it ends up being keanu shooting him because hey Pop quiz, hot shot. <laughs> For a second there, I thought I was, I, I was, I was in quiz mode. I was like, "Fuck, I gotta collect my my thoughts real quick." No, I'll put yeah. the clip. <laughs> Dennis Hopper, you know, rehabilitates himself as a criminal by watching a medal ceremony where the guys who fucked him over are, you know, being uh, given medals, and Jeff Daniels is limping around, and he he just knows he didn't finish the job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we see a bus explode thanks to him and a phone rings and you just get this incredible image of these sun-soaked pay phones that are then showing the reflection of the fire from the bus. That is like one of my favorite shots in the entire movie. It's just so intense. Like you get like, I mean, with what you're talking about, this movie constantly being in motion, like there's that just a little downbeat for just a little bit where it's like they have the victory of the first set piece, whatever. But then immediately Keanu sees like a bus explode behind him and it pulls you right into the whole of the film. And I like how kind of like uh, the first... Because, like, you know, the reputation of this movie, I thought it was just going to be on a bus for the whole time or something like that. And I kind of like its first, you know, uh, 20 minutes where it kind of introduces everyone's motives or, or someone like the Hopper character where it's like, I guess it makes sense that he wants to get revenge or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I like guess they, it's. I like that they get to see each yeah. other first. Like you get to tango. It makes yeah. it yeah, more no. like personal, like the the rivalry. Yeah, there. it makes it seem like something that would be like a longer <laughs> epic story, but it is just more instant like that. Yeah. This, in terms of like storytelling function, this does some of my favorite things for action movies. <laughs> you know, like it has two climaxes, which is like one of the best action movie oh, yeah. things you can do. And this also breaks that down to how you're supposed to do that, where it's like, you know, the promise of the premise, basically the, the poster, it's like, is the bus going to explode? We find out. And then we have, you have the more personal resolution after, uh, it also does intercutting so fucking well. It's just like, if some of these plot points are slow, uh, it, it's only because they're running parallel to each other, kind of rather than mm-hmm. one coming after another. So the way it plays with time and real time is like almost an approximation, but also can be expressive, either speeding up real time or just jumping ahead for the sake of getting to the action. You know? <laughs> no. Well, I was gonna say like yeah, like to, in terms of getting to the action, like. It does like Hopper's the tone of Hopper's performance and just kind of the demeanor he carries himself with just kind of makes more sense that he'd do something mm. like this because like yeah like if you you get your you know your fucking microscope out or whatever look at the script it's like I I guess it doesn't really make that much <laughs> sense why Dennis Hopper's doing this but it's like he emotionally sells it just through you know him stabbing someone and saying yeah. a punch on you're like all right I I get what type of motherfucker this is but also uh, one of my favorite things it does is the first act as just a set piece of its own mm-hmm. like I know this does that. Technically, you could almost structure body double like that. It's more like 35 minutes, though, uh, or like 40 minutes, really. Uh, But this is just like you just have an insane action set piece that could be its own little movie for the first 24 minutes. And that also just informs the next hour 40. You know, it it's 
absolutely perfect in that regard. Uh, it's also a movie that uh, revolves around an ever-changing map of Los Angeles oh, with new beautiful. highways and unfinished bus stops. It's like, come on, that that's just perfect for someone like me. I mean, uh, it, you know, you see the history of LA action movies you know, being broken in front of you by freeways, you know, being built over them or freeways being broken or new systems of transit being built. It's crazy. You know, it's that lot. It's that Tom Anderson feeling, you know, (laughs) seeing clips from gone in 60 seconds from that movie uh, compared to images in this movie uh, where it's just like a completely different landscape, you know, because of all the new highways and shit like that. But those new highways, that's just new places for cool guys to drive cars <laughs> and movies. Well, let's say I like how uh, LA here and kind of like, I don't know that chunk where it's, you know, centered on the bus. It just like, it turned, we just turned this, the city into a goddamn obstacle course. Yeah. Like, it's just like, and I did say cool guys driving the bus. I should say Sandra Bullock is driving the bus. Yeah. And good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I saw some of the steer she did. I mean, that was legitimately some good work, yeah. some good driving work. No, oh, my fa- obviously, the, the big turn that she has to hit mm-hmm. uh, to get onto like the 110 or whatever, uh, going 50 miles an hour, just this sharp ass turn where the entire bus rocks to one side. Uh, all of the people lean on one side so the bus doesn't tip over. And you get that great shot of it on not two wheels because it has a lot more than four wheels, but you know, on half yeah. of its side uh, as it takes that corner and it's so precise and perfect but where it's just like such a hard stunt and like there are so many practical stunts in this where it's like how many takes how many cameras do you have to have running uh, how are you hiding all of the cameras that you have running it's just a hollywood miracle baby mm-hmm. <laughs> even though they don't always hide the ca- there's a great jan debunt cameo when they are <laughs> unloading everyone uh you see the camera in the reflection of the bus door as everyone's getting off uh once they've fooled dennis hopper with video loop and you just see i think jan debunt yeah. just kind of look like in shorts with his legs crossed kind of <laughs> like watching this lady get onto the bus but that's like if you're watching on a huge screen looking right at it you know (laughs) also just like all the stuff that like like i love the water bands that are driven into and it's like kind of creates a different type of explosion and yeah like all the different type of stunts going on here like because like it's it's not afraid to go for the explosive with the water bins or uh when she you know rams through that baby carriage full of uh cans and stuff like that that's that was like the most obstacle course type shit for me because it's like it it is just like it's pure fun it's like stakes don't matter you thought you ran over a kid nope you know just keep action going yeah it's just a bunch of cans and the way an action set piece (laughs) operates too because it's so high octane you have like a shot of the car or of the bus rather a shot from the inside of the characters and then you just get a two second shot of a stroller to introduce the idea (laughs) before you even see the two ladies that are talking it's like eight shots before she even steps out onto the street just introducing the idea of the the stroller is so genius there and like yeah you could say it's like a fucking soviet montage type shit (laughs) uh but it is like Debont's intellectual montage throughout this is really strong, oh, yeah. especially during the more intense action scenes where you're cutting between multiple locations too. Uh, it, it really creates like a flurry of images that create even grosser and like more gnarly images in your head, you know? Well, I think I also, I mean, we talked earlier about like, obviously like there are some things where it's like going through the script it's like ridiculous and like wouldn't necessarily make the most logical sense. Who gives a shit? One thing about the script that I really like is it's always adding like new Mm. elements of conflict and like playing off of that. Like it's like when, once we hop on the bus, it's like, what are the personalities (laughs) of the bus uh, riders like and how are they going to like clash? And then like the bus driver gets shot. It's like they go on the highway that's not built yet. Of course, there's going to be a gap in it. There's just every problem possible, like just making new conflict and allowing you to create these new crazy images and scenarios. I I like uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller at the beginning before, uh, you know, the whole event starts taking place where he's trying to 
chat up Sandra Bullock. You know, it's just like it's just the. Fr- I'm it's a like, tourist. Yeah, <laughs> being a tourist in L.A. and riding the bus around is yeah. such a fucking stupid. idea. No, it's just like try to ride the bus to get some pussy. You know, <laughs> it's just such a funny move. And the bus he's on too, because it's like not even a metro bus. It's like one of those Santa Monica blue buses. Yeah, like the mm-hmm. big blue bus, which is the worst. And about this movie in transit, it's like. It's kind of about how terrible transit is yeah. in LA. It's like, you know, uh, you know, people say nobody rides the bus in LA or whatever. It's like, no, nobody who has a choice rides the bus <laughs> yeah. in LA because it's fucking terrible. And unless you live just like on the main grid of the city, you are not gonna get anywhere. But you know, I think that aggression almost of like the inefficiency of it is on full display. You yeah. have buses going crazy you have unbuilt train stations uh the train bursting through the unbuilt oh. train station popping out in hollywood at like hollywood and vine or whatever at like the chinese theater showing 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> just you know the intersection of la's quote-unquote progress as a city with hollywood is like in that sequence right there uh, there, there's so much to read into that that you know i'm not i'm not a genius but uh, <laughs> someone else can be no yeah it's it's an interesting point and kind of you know how it is it's definitely harder for bus riders in la than maybe some other cities and it's it's shown when the bus kind of has to enter the city the city wasn't built for buses it's ramming through in a very violent way you know she has to fucking take that uh, very harsh turn that would be unfavorable you know for you know buses going at high speeds so it's just like yeah you know it's fun to see a bus kind of dominate this la environment yeah. now you don't see a lot of bus la movies you know <laughs> people love you know the subway new york you know stuff like that what about la buses nobody's talking about what's <laughs> talking about them so yeah uh she ends up getting the bus uh sandra bulk that is ends up getting the bus to uh an airport tarmac and is just kind of doing loops uh, to buy time, I guess, as this ticking time bomb continues. And as I said earlier, they fool Dennis Hopper with videotape loop because he's like kind of like the guy in Slacker with all those TVs. He's just chilling with all these CRT TVs, watching different news feeds as well as the spy cam he has in the bus, you know. Uh, so they're able to fool him with like a loop of them sitting still in the car and Keanu unloads all the passengers to the cops and uh, but then there's that second climax, baby. Uh, Dennis Hopper gets in his cop uniform, gets Sandra Bullock, straps her up with dynamite, and throws her on the train <laughs> like a classic villain. And uh, yeah, him and Keanu have to wrestle to death. He gets decapitated. Uh, it's fucking awesome. And then the train bursts through the unfinished station. They make another big jump. The train bursts through an unfinished station. Keanu and Sandra Bullock start making out, uh, say something about how they're going to have sex. Oh, yeah. And they, that's the end of the movie. It's just like people, like, could, people watching. Presumably, them, like, about to fuck in yeah. this bus Everyone's in the middle pictures. of Hollywood, just them fuck. watching. That's It really should have ended with them having sex, dude. Yeah. That would have, that would have I, been I mean, fucking that's kind fire. of what's happening. That's true. It's but like they're just making out, though. But yeah. We should have, we should have, they should have just fucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. If it went Cronenberg crash mode, they would have actually fucked. But I think that's yeah. the implication. True. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just kind of, I'm thinking it more You want it to a, be a little nastier. Well, not even that swag, just like swagged out. Like, they're just both fucking like, like, damn, we really just did that. And it's just like, there's no other conclusion but that. But, you know, I, I, I get it. Hey, you know, hey, I get it. Sometimes you got to imply things, you know, maybe I'm just, I'm too uh, forward. Yeah, you are too forward. <laughs> and I'd like if you could just take a step. Just chill. All right, I'll be more like a rely on innuendo. Thank more. you. JT, any final thoughts on this movie? Um, I'm giving this one four bullets. It's a classic. I love the pace that it keeps. I was just so excited and tense throughout the whole damn thing. And, and like the camera work matches that as well. Like I love like in the early sequences where Keanu's trying to get on the bus and it's just like you see the the speedometer is sort of like a ticking time bomb yeah. where it's just like is it going to hit 50 and you know it fucking has to but yeah. it's just just waiting there and then watching the camera whip through traffic on the highway it's i don't know it's spectacular and beautiful hollywood spectacle the amount of cars that get destroyed is so awesome like when uh Sandra Bullock has to take the shoulder because there's traffic on the highway and 
she, I don't know why I said highway there, freeway. Uh, there's traffic on the freeway and she's just like knocking off people's window, uh, windshields and shit. But then there's the tow truck that has a car on it and <laughs> she just bumps it and the car just takes off soaring and so much shit just gets smashed. I mean, if, if we're going on, uh, how many cars get wrecked, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> so by that metric alone, I'm going to go four bullets on this one. I think the, the main effecta of performances is so incredible and they all have this crazy chemistry despite Hopper's scenes primarily being uh, in a different room than the rest of them and on the phone he's just that good at delivering insane lines like um hold on i have one right here when hopper says after he after he uh blows up like a small bomb that's on the bus and then sees the news coverage of it says interactive tv jack wave to the future (laughs) well i was like what's when he said jack i'm like damn this is like you know, someone's must have made this connection before, but Hopper's just evil Biden. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he kind of just has, like, an evil Biden tone of his voice. It's like, hey, Jack. Especially Listen, Jack. in his older acting performances. Yeah, absolutely. But also, yeah, like you said, he is good in the room. But I, also, I do like kind of how there is, like, an opportunity for, you know, post-bus explosion for him to get out of that room. Because he is really menacing in that cop uniform, that part in the movie where... He shoots the bus driver, too, and you just kind of see his reflection in the window. Real real menacing, you know, because it is kind of a, a goofier, like it is like a fun, more villain performance, but the, he still has that grit to him, and I think that's what uh, you know makes the performance work. Hopper has that crazy man energy. Yeah, that crazy-ass white boy, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he would have, you know came up now you know you might have been in three six mafia instead of making movies that crazy but uh <laughs> might have been the little white of his time no yeah four four bullets i mean this is just yeah like it's hollywood greatness and it's just it commits to the speed everything moves fast i like how and the ending where bullocks you know handcuffed to the pole and like she's like oh you got to get out of here and like Keanu's like you know what you know what will save the day going more fast <laughs> that's 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 how you know you stick to a premise yeah. and so uh yeah no complaints about this movie no emails this week but you can always help us out with this segment at extended clip podcast at gmail.com whatever you want to ask us about or even just say you send it we read it extended clip podcast at gmail.com next week on the podcast our old friend marshlands eric marsh is going to be joining us to talk about henry portrait of a serial killer and car wash i can't wait it's going to be crazy i need to wash my car it's kind of dirty (laughs) it rained and then you know car always gets a little stained from that true you you know when i was a kid whenever it rained i was like free car wash (laughs) but then you realize that you know once the sun comes that kind of stains it in a weird way it's gross we're gonna have to get get, i'm gonna have to get my car detailed or something like that for sure yeah jt you mind detailing my car (laughs) no (laughs) no you don't mind okay cool good all right got anything to uh plug um at extended clip 69 on twitter per chance if you that's true are listening to the show and do not follow us hey listen to us on stitcher.com okay we're on there <laughs> yeah come on we're on stitcher we're on apple oh you know what? if you're on apple slash itunes leave a leave a nice review <laughs> yeah still, yeah still yeah, we're a, still, yeah still at a hefty 2.5 after the blank check raid uh so you know do yeah. what you can maybe a nice three and a half yeah so yeah, to be honest, five stars are nothing though. If you don't want to leave a five star review, five don't star leave or it. one star, I think that's I've said true. That yeah, before. yeah. I no, think... I, I after the blank check rate, I don't want it anymore. I want to go back to a good rating. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care. I mean, yeah. like people like look at the films of Zack Snyder. Check out his ratings. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Fuck, that's so true. Whenever you know we're in that situation, it's like. They tried to do the same to Snyder. The critical class is always wrong. <laughs> like literally those guys tried to do the same to Snyder. So, so it's like, you know, we're on the right side of history. Exactly. And that's, you know what? That's all that matters to me. Yeah. Nothing else. Oh, yeah. I said that's next week's double feature for the main episode. But before that, we will be coming to you for not like a paid episode, just like on the normal feed. Our next episode, I'm going to say will come out Monday and it will be on the Snyder. Big Z. So we'll see you then. Shame.
game up in my game. In fact, I'm mentally the range. Oxycontin.